Hi, I'm Dan Schinder. And I'm Steven Schinder. And we're here with a Yes Shift News Desk Report. All kinds of stuff coming at you. Steve, what do we got on the plate today? It's like a buffet smorgasbord of news. Yeah, so some of the stuff came out pretty much since mid-November. So like, um, you know, you and I went on vacation for a bit. And so it's kind of like a catch-up type of thing. We got some stuff related to Yes fan sites. Some new stuff that's come out, like Animals Reimagined, and a single by Outlanders that features Trevor Rabin. Uh, Some updates on new albums from John Anderson and Oliver Wakeman, respectively. Mm -hmm. A few different anniversaries, and um, yeah, just all sorts of stuff. And I think for once, uh, the feedback will be at the end of the episode, because... Um, I, I think we'll start with acknowledgments of certain people who are no longer with us, either recently or a while ago. But first, uh, just want to mention, uh, people who are really into Prague might already know about this. So the Prague Report Awards, um, people might be familiar with that site. They have like articles and podcasts and whatnot. Uh, they do this thing at the end of the year where you can vote for uh, one thing for each category. And so I've listed out the stuff related to Yes and members and whatnot. So uh, we have Yes for Artist slash Band of the Year. Um, and, and again, voting ends December 6th. So um, and, and by the way, this is being recorded. It's funny that I have to look at the date. <laughs> this is December 4th as we're recording it. Um, right, so you, yeah. You, you might not see this till January, depending on how you follow us. And the, the, the vote by date might be moot, but it's still news to report. Yeah, and I already shared the link on our page. And so maybe people have seen it, but um, just reiterating here. So yes, for artist slash band of the year is an option. Uh, people can also vote for Downs Braid Association or DBA's Halcyon Him. Yeah, hey, let me jump in. I have a question. Okay. And and I don't know if you know the answer. And by the way, folks, um, if you're kind of new to following us, Steve and I do not like discuss a lot of this before the show. So you might say, well, hey, Dan's the dad, Steve's the son. They do this show together. Why is either of them asking the other certain things? We We don't rehearse the show uh or anything like that and a lot of the stuff well most of the stuff discussed is a hundred percent organic so steve do you know like how does someone get on the ballot is it everything that came out that year do people vote it in is it approved like how is yes on the ballot and how's a little spoiler here the quest on the ballot and so on well I don't know how Prog Report does it. They probably take a look at what have been the releases from like major prog rock artists this year. Um, okay. There might have been a couple of things I was surprised to not see on there, but um, but yeah, just continuing. Uh, so uh, for album of the year, there's uh, DBA's Halcyon Hymn. Robbie Steinhardt's Not in Kansas Anymore is also an option. That one featured Patrick Moraz on a song, as we mentioned before. 
And yes is the quest is there as well, of course. Uh, for live album of the year, there's Kansas's Point of No Return and Beyond, which features Tom Brislin. Uh, yes is the quest is up for album production of the year. Halcyon Hymns, not in Kansas anymore in the quest for album cover of the year. DBA's Remembrance is an option for Epic of the Year. And DBA's wow. Love Among the Ruins and Yes is the Ice Bridge are options for Song of the Year. Excuse me. I, I, I find all that interesting because I would expect um, a lot. I don't know why, but I would expect a lot more kind of contemporary um, artists as well. That's why I was curious. Well, while they're pro they probably are. I was just listing the yes and related. Yes, related. Okay. My eye. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. That's the prog report uh, awards options that are yes related, and onto a recent anniversary that passed. So, no November twenty ninth. Uh, I think it was the 29th. Yeah, it was the 29th. was the 20th anniversary of George Harrison's passing. Of course, one of the Beatles. And so there were lots of posts and whatnot on the web. And uh, some of us know that Alan White was on one of his solo albums, All Things Must Pass. Um, he might have been on something else as well, but that's like a really iconic one. Um, have you ever listened to that album, Dad? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when way back, way back decades ago, because I am older, um, and Alan joined, yes, I wasn't familiar with him that much by name, honestly. And I right. dug into like, wow, this guy played with Joe Cocker. This guy played with um, Yoko Ono and John Lennon and was on the iconic song you can now hear a days while you're shopping at the grocery store <laughs> imagine and and i want to pause there for a moment you know to play on a song like that that became basically an anthem for a generation and a culture is like pfft, you have the golden ticket to go do what the f you want and one of those things was also playing with George Harrison. How many solo people, solo people, how many people <laughs> do we know that have played on solo albums or works with Beatles members after the Beatles with more than one Beatle? Not many. Um, Ian Pace, when I interviewed him one of the couple times, talked about playing with George Harrison as well. But Alan White spent a lot of time with John Lennon and Yoko Ono. And that album is actually my favorite work by George Harrison. I think he's my favorite Beatle. Something about him being kind of the, the John Paul Jones of the Beatles, even though he wasn't the bass player, he was quiet, but he was kind of like, I don't know. The yeah, yeah, like my math teacher in high school described him as the intellectual Beatle. Yeah, um, that's perfect. Yeah, he was professorial in the way he spoke and and i love his voice it just stands out differently from john and paul and ringo's voice we know ringo um as the drummer also did a lot of solo vocals but something about george 
that would be a great biography, something about George. <laughs> and and considering that Alan played on some of those iconic songs, um, as well as with uh, Jim Keltner, the famous drummer who collaborated with George. So I love that album. It's great. And that that's a huge, you could, you could do that and never play in the music business again. <laughs> and you have a name forever, you know? Yeah, I remember a few years ago when I finally got around to listening to George's solo stuff. I remember preferring his first solo album, Wonderwall Music, over All Things Must Pass. But I listened to the Ooh. 50th anniversary edition of All Things Must Pass recently, and it really like, grew on me a bit more, I think. Uh, there's some great stuff on there. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, the very influential on Yes members, you know, the Beatles, and a couple yeah. of days... A couple days after George passed uh, 20 years ago, Yes even did a cover of Here Comes the Sun, which people can find on YouTube, uh, well, audio only, but I'll, I'll link it in the description. And You know what? I've never heard that <laughs> that I remember. You know, often, folks, often I say that and Stephen goes, no, remember I sent you the CD or I played it in the... I don't remember that though. And by the way, that was one of grandpa's favorite songs. My father, mm. for those of you who don't know. Yeah, he loved that. Yeah, it's it's a good song. I think my earliest memory of it is hearing a cover version on the Parent Trap remake. Um, so yeah, mm. it's been it's gone through like I'm sure <laughs> many like countless people have covered it. So um, but yeah, so that's uh recent george harrison related i can't stuff believe it's been 20 about. years wow yeah it's it's bizarre right yeah time flies yeah tempest fugit um oh. but but yeah like gone but not forgotten even after all these years obviously definitely he's he's one of the handful of artists that in a hundred years will absolutely be remembered mm -hmm. just like decades and decades and decades and decades after Mozart, Beethoven, Brahms, and all of them in their respective genre, genre um, they will always be remembered. I really believe that the, the Beatles, and maybe even, yes, the 80 members in and out of yes, <laughs> um, the four members of Led Zeppelin, Queen, and, and a, a handful of other bands their, their music and legacy will live on and it wouldn't have if it wasn't for the Beatles making such a mark. And, and I'm sure when you're, uh, let's see, so you're 27. So in a hundred years, when you're 127, you'll remember this episode. <laughs> and when I said that their names will still be synonymous with that cultural movement and rock and roll music. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it would be wild still being around in a hundred years. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so uh, moving on to other people who've been gone for a while. Um, yet the Yes official Facebook page shared a post from Manticore Records. Yeah, Greg Lake's uh, founded label, right? Yeah, so it, it includes a message from his widow, Regina Lake. Um and, you know, so basically Manticore Records is being relaunched and uh, Greg's idea, these are her words, Greg's idea in his own words was to give new talented musicians the chance to be heard 
when other doors might have been closed to them for being different. And like, that's, that's such a nice way to look at it, I think. And uh, it says here, the first project will be a definitive collection of Greg Lake's solo catalog. And also a video of Greg singing, I believe in Father Christmas live has premiered on YouTube. So yeah, that, that one's like a Christmas classic in prog rock, I guess you could say. It is. And I, I don't want people to think I'm a Scrooge or anything, <laughs> um, but I, I'm not, I'm not big on Christmas music. I mean, uh, there's no way to position this positively. Well, yeah, there is. There is. Um, it's like, oh, you're just bombarded with it everywhere you go. And I have a couple favorites, but Greg's voice, he's one of my favorite, favorite musicians and songwriters and music, you know, vocalists. His voice is so perfect for that song. And this version that Steve will link in, the, in this post is truly just magical. He's perfect for that. And um, I hope that Regina does carry on that legacy for Greg, the work that he did with, of course, Emerson Lake and Palmer and beyond is, is unmatched. You know, we, we can make the comparisons um, of how John Wetton sounds so much like Greg Lake. He replaced him in King Crimson and Greg Lake replaced John Wetton for one gig in Tokyo with <laughs> Asia, you know, that weird thing. But when all is said and done, no one really sounds just like Greg. And uh, I, I'm happy to hear that this is going to live on because he's, he's very, just as synonymous with prog rock as any other musician you could name. He really is. So, and this is just a beautiful song. It is. If I could hear one song over and over, it's on Christmas. It's that. Mm. And I have a few favorites from the Jethro Tull Christmas album, of course. Right. I actually have kind of a hot take on Christmas music that I thought of recently. So okay, um, I feel like if Christmas music was a genre that wasn't just confined to like November, December type of thing, like if it were played like year round, you know, like spread out or whatever, then people wouldn't be complaining about it as much. Like, you know, like after Halloween but, or but I think that would, it's like, oh, too much Christmas music, you know? But I think that would make it not Christmas music, regardless of what the words are, the lyrics, the theme. I think a big part of what makes mm. it Christmas music is that it's played in November and December. Mm. Yeah, and folks, chime in on any of the stuff we talk about. We're yeah. curious to hear like your position on these things. Absolutely, it's your show too. Yeah, but um, speaking of John Wetton, uh, on November twenty sixth, um, the of the box set Asia: The Official Live Bootlegs Volume One was. I've got to order that. <laughs> Yeah, and just to reiterate, this contains five concerts from Buffalo 1982, Worcester 1983, Sao Paulo 2007, Tokyo 2008, and London 2010. Um, yeah, I, I heard someone say that the sound quality for these is really good. So yeah, oh. I'm really itching to check this out. And um, 
Also, along the lines of John Wetton, uh, Jeff Downs recently appeared on Vintage Rock Pod. I guess I guess the full audio episode isn't out yet, but they put out a little video clip and he mentioned that there are recordings with John Wetton that he hopes to like have finished and released at some point. Yeah, uh, separate collaborations, right? Outside of Asia. Right. Yeah, it's outside of Asia. Yeah. Yeah. Which is it's kind of weird. You know, it's like. If and I'm not criticizing, I'm just saying it sounds weird to hear that because John, this is a big statement I'm going to make, and some people will say no way, and I don't care. <laughs> but John Wetton and Jeff Downs are, in my opinion, to Prague the equivalent to Jimmy Page and Robert Plant or John Lennon and Paul McCartney. You know, they were a writing team that cranked out some serious freaking music. You know, and I'd really be interested to hear what gets unearthed that's been sitting in closets or the tape vault or whatever, because they were a great writing team. They really were. They were able to write commercially and yet still still appeal to a huge, vast amount of prog rock fans. And that's a that's a slippery slope edge right there. Mm. You know, you're either blues or your metal, or your hard rock, or your prog, but they they rode this line that really kind of bridged commercial with prog together, um, which is a, a, I don't know if anyone's done that otherwise, you know? Well, other than yes. <laughs> and, and we could say Genesis, you know, when you look at stuff in their latter albums, but their latter albums, they weren't that prog, whereas I think that the stuff right. Wetton and Downs wrote and produced were so i'm really curious to see what comes out yeah and i mean uh, regarding material from them outside of asia i'm kind of used to that already because they did icon before the original asia lineup reunited and they did a couple more icon um albums after that so And, and are those albums that would have been asia albums if asia original were together you know, I always wonder um, about that. Like, there's the the star writing team of the band, you know? Yeah, I mean, there are similarities, but I guess I just see them as, like, different things. You know, similar to yeah. how Anderson Wakeman is different from, yeah. So, well, I guess Icon sounds closer to Asia overall, but, yeah, I, I don't know. But in any case, I'm just, like, really glad to hear that there's still wet in that we haven't heard yet that could be released posthumously like even further you know yeah i i heard he might there might be an acoustic song uncovered called uncle hanukkah wait really no That'd be funny, Uncle Hanukkah. Yeah, well, like like it had me up until like those last couple words. Sorry. <laughs> I believe in Uncle Hanukkah. Lachaim, <laughs> Moisha, Pipic. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, and Uncle Hanukkah would be a cool song if someone makes it. Sounds um, like, uh, what was that song by, um, it was on South Park, right? Uncle, I won't, I'll filter, Uncle Effer. Oh, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we'll, right. we'll go back. We'll go back on track here. <laughs> yeah, so um, 
Yeah, so hoping that we get that at some point in the near future, the Downs and Wetton. Yeah, um, and, and, and good on Jeff Downs for still keeping that flame alight. Um, yeah. John passed way too young, and, you know, due to cancer, we see this over and over, and the question is always there, what if? You know, what if, fast forward, John Wetton was still alive and producing music, He was one of those people and one of those bands that would only have gotten better and better, I think, you know. Right. Yeah. And going along with Jeff Downs, he also had some words to say about uh, David Lungden, who passed away on November 20th due to a traumatic fall. Um, Singer and multi-instrumentalist. Uh, I'm not as familiar with him as with Wetton and Lake, but what about you, Dad? Are you familiar with him? No, same here. I'm not incredibly familiar with him, but he uh, was also another really good musician. And his passing is under kind of really weird and I was going to say unfortunate circumstances, but all passings are. Yeah, they're all unfortunate. Yeah, unless you live, you know way into 90s a hunt being a centurion um so no i'm sorry i don't really have a lot to offer on his catalog or anything but right. it's, it's great to be noted absolutely yeah i know that he sang on um he was on i think two dba tracks on that's right on their recent album house on him uh, the songs yeah. are king of the sunset and mm-hmm. holding the heavens and so Downs's words on him are as follows. Um, and this is from a louder sound article. Uh, Downs says, uh, we are heartbroken to share the news of the passing of our musical collaborator and dear friend, David Longden. We are fortunate to have wonderful memories of making and performing music with David that will be treasured always, sending love and light to David's family and friends. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. But yeah, if any listeners have any memories of David London and are like, if you're like huge fans, I'm curious favorite, to hear like what yeah, your favorites are. Favorites and having seen him live and, and if you ever met him maybe at a meet and greet or personally, um, please chime in and we'll, um, Steve and I always select a, a few fan emails or comments that we can work into one of these episodes. Um, so please, please always chime in with your thoughts on anything that we ever cover. This isn't ever like a, a dig us. This is what we think. That's not what this show is. We're, whether it's the news desk reports or the yes shift episodes about yes, we're, we're just throwing topics out there on the table of music and bands and artists we love and we want you to participate as well. Yeah, definitely. And this next one... Um, Stephen Sondheim passed away at age 91 on November 26th. And we got a comment from one of our listeners, uh, Kevin Pearson, who said, I really love Into the Woods and also Sunday in the Park with George. Sondheim was a genius. His musicals will be performed for years to come. Um, And yeah, Sondheim... Like, I think my first introduction to him was actually via the Yes cover, Something's Coming, funny enough. Me too, um, actually. Oh, really? Or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which is kind of neat. I mean, that's what's cool when one of your favorite bands 
uh, covers things. When I was young, really young, sort of related on that topic, when I was really young and started listening to Led Zeppelin at six years old, you know, I read everything. I, I developed a vast vocabulary of important multisyllabic words by reading the ingredients on the side panel of cereal boxes every morning. And, and I read the liner notes of everything and reading that, wow, Led Zeppelin's first album and second album, they had songs that were written by other people. And so it wasn't too foreign to me by the time I heard that. Um, and that's exactly how I discovered him as well. I really didn't know anything about him before then. So kudos to Yes for, you know, bringing other artists and any artist that does this, bringing other artists' music to light, especially if it's slightly or completely in another genre. You know, that's really cool. Yeah, like West Side Story is not necessarily for me, but I've loved Into the Woods and especially Sweeney Todd. Like that's a favorite. Yeah. Like that probably got me into like, like I remember when my brother Alex showed me the 2007. Wait, you have a brother Alex? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and we were just like really into it, like singing along to the songs. And, you know, Sondheim has done a lot of like, he's a legend in musical theater, you know? Um, And so. How how cool is it for someone? to pass away, to live to 91 in this century, in this decade, and to have music turned on to two generations, you and I, and I'm much younger than his uh, contemporaries, (laughs) to be turned on by a band of his younger generation. You know, that whole trickle-down thing is really cool, I think. It's great that we're even able to talk about this and that we know about him through our favorite band. Yeah, definitely. So he he's another one that'll be long remembered, like pretty much all the people we've mentioned. Um, so yeah, that's just the power of music. You put it out into the world and if it resonates with people, like it'll, like that'll live on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to talk about Bill Bruford's posts. Oh yeah. So this kind of relates to the Sondheim thing a little bit, but yeah, go ahead. So Bill Bruford, of course, the original drummer of Yes, even though he was only with them for a handful of their first albums, is so iconically relevant to Yes because of his work with everything he did, really, from the first album all the way through close to the freaking edge, which is the benchmark for Prague. How does it measure up to close to the edge? Um, so Bill posted uh, this date in history, November 26, 1969. Yes supports Cream on their farewell gig at London's Royal Albert Hall. I forgot about that until you sent me these notes. Think about that for a moment. What Cream was at that point doing a farewell gig. And for a band that was together for such a short period of time, they just put a dinosaur footprint in the mud that no one's really been able to fill, you know, and, and to be a young, what became prog rock iconic band to be able to say, Hey, we opened for cream on their farewell tour back in the, you know, Jurassic age or whatever that was. (laughs) I, I, I would love to know more about that night. I'd love to hear accounts by the members. Um, So to see Bill post about this is really cool. He says the ominous chords 
And then in brackets of Leonard Bernstein, something's coming from West Side Story. Sound great. Sudden pause. And 5,000 pairs of ears turn to the weedy-looking kid being driven by a skinny 19-year-old drummer to see if he can improve on Mr. Buddy Rich's not inconsiderable efforts in this area. The occasional proves the occasion proves too much because he dropped a stick, as he says. And I could say as a drummer, I could totally relate. When you <laughs> drop a stick, it's like it's easy. It's you know, you can get good at recovering that. Like, okay, a stick gets loose, you grab another, but the act of the stick dropping, especially if it's during a moment where there's not a lot going on and that stick clatters against the bass drum pedal and against the head and the rim, it's like that. And, and I don't know about other drummers out there that might be watching or listening, but I have this horrible, horrible instinct where if a stick gets loose from me, rather than just saying, fuck it, goodbye, and reach for another. I'm like chasing it and juggling. It's bouncing off four other things, and I'm lost down that rabbit hole instead of just paying attention. So I could totally relate to what that must have been like on such an iconic night, um, which is really funny to me. And as he also adds on the hardwood floor at a packed Albert Hall is absolutely the loudest sound I shall ever hear. That's in Bill's autobiography on page 46, paragraph nine, sentence three, in case you're checking. <laughs> yeah, the, the page number at least is correct. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I made the rest of it up. Yeah. Um, and uh, the 1118, well, for those of us in North America that date things that way, otherwise in Europe, it could be month 18, day 11. Uh, November 18th, National Post article, The Night in a Small City, Ontario, that Phil Collins became a frontman. Um, and, and Bill was there because Bill was the first drummer to tour with Genesis between uh, before Chester Thompson's long-ass tenure as the live <laughs> drummer for and with Phil uh, with Genesis. Um, and And... Bill did an awesome job. I love playing to there's this one concert from shortly before Chester joined and it's a soundboard recording. And I love playing to cinema show on that and it's Bill's drumming and then Phil joins in, but um, that's really cool. He, he cites his early gigs were modeled on Peter Gabriel's uh, singing till in later days he found his own voice, said Bruford, formerly of King Crimson of Yes, of course, adding, generally, I think there was an astonishment that Phil had done such a great job replacing Gabriel. And of course, the great part of that story is that he was Genesis, not original drummer, but fourth <laughs> drummer. A lot of people don't know that. The Phil Collins was the fourth drummer. And when he got the gig, he answered an ad in Melody Maker. He was hanging out in the swimming pool of Peter Gabriel's mother's house because they were still auditioning and he got there early and they said, hey, just go for a swim. So he hung out in the pool and listened to the band rehearsing or auditioning the other drummers. So by the time it was his turn, he freaking nailed it. And when Peter decided to leave after the Lamb Lives Down on Broadway tour, Genesis interviewed dozens and auditioned dozens of singers until they finally said, hey, you've sung our <laughs> material. Why don't you do it? Like, hello, what is this thing on? It's kind of a, a funny story how they took the long way around 
and look what happened. Decades and decades of music with Phil at the Lyric Helm, not just the Lyric Helm, because uh, Mike Rutherford and Tony Banks also wrote lyrics, but the lyrics, the voice, the front man telling stories, entertaining the audience and jumping up on the drum riser and the instrumental section, uh, sections of songs. And just a quick side note, because I know Genesis is winding up a tour. If I may, Stephen. Yeah, go ahead. You know, people who are throwing shade at Phil for sitting in a chair and singing from a chair, bless his heart for even giving a fuck for going <laughs> on with spinal problems, drop foot, diabetes. He can't hold a drumstick in his left hand as he's left handed, but yeah, okay. I'll do a Genesis tour. Let me get my son Nick to play drums. And if you don't mind, I'm going to sit in a chair so I can tolerate it the whole time. You know, when people on Drum Talk TV and other platforms criticize someone's setup or their hair or the way they're holding a stick or what they're wearing, I, I say, who gives a shit? Would a blind person care? When all is said and done, it comes down to the music. And even though Phil can't play drums anymore and do the fantastically amazing drumming he's done with Genesis and with the stuff he did in the 80s for all the big fundraisers and with uh, Brand X, the killer fusion band. So what? Let the man bring us the music he helped create of generations past and generations present and to come. And they forget that, uh, guess what? Guitarist Steve Hackett sat in a freaking chair for most of the time he was with Genesis. So, so what? Um, and I love that Bill is acknowledging him in this way where he's referring to the vocals and dis disregardless of the drumming iconicness of Phil, leave it to a drummer to be so on top of it, top of mind to say, you know, how it was back in the day when Phil first became the, the singer. I know that's kind of a tangent going off track a little, but I don't think Phil Collins gets enough recognition as the true musician and drummer he is. The average music fan knows him as the, the soloist stuff. Studio, you know, that and, and everything, which is absolutely worthy. But let's dig deep into Trick of the Tail, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, Foxtrot, Supper's Ready, on and on and on and on. The man is a freaking genius. And I, I love that Bill was there for that transition you know and speaking out yeah. about it yeah and i'll link the national post article about that in the we, we should slice that out by the way and put on drum talk tv too <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's so worthy I, I can't say enough about phil so i won't right yeah <laughs> and um also the king crimson youtube channel posted a video titled Elephant Talk, Stick, Bass, and Vocal Mix. And apparently this is part of their occasional series, Stormy Monday Selection. And I gave it a listen. It sounds really good. Like, it's been a while since I listened to some of that King Crimson stuff from, like, you know, the stuff that features Bill Bruford. Or I guess King Crimson in general. Like, most of it's been a while for me. So it was cool revisiting that. So after you put yourself in a five-minute timeout, <laughs> listen to uh, three of a perfect pair live in Tokyo. They're Tokyo, um, 
uh, I have it on VHS, uh, but it's on YouTube. And the tour for Three of a Perfect Pair, um, the concert film they made in Tokyo, is phenomenal. It's, I, I think, some of the best work by Bill Bruford, Tony Levin, Adrian Ballou, and Mr. King Crimson um, himself. Um, the, so I saw that tour. I don't know if we've never talked about this. I saw that tour at the Greek Theater in LA, and it started to mist rain and a little more than that and it was perfect it's like no one cared it was just perfect but bill's drumming and adrian's playing an elephant talk is amazing on that version and i love that they're putting this out because uh tony levin i think really sh helped shape in a big way the con more contemporary sound of king crimson just and peter gabriel for that matter another tie in there um you got to check that out after your five minute timeout. <laughs> yeah. Like come to think of it, I think that may have been the video we watched uh, like a year ago or something, but I'll have to double check. But yeah, um, I'll have to like go and revisit some of that stuff. And for drummers who are listening, Bill Burford has a different drum kit for every album and every tour. And this one in particular, he has, a couple, and I mean a couple, not nah, three. He's got Tama drums, a snare, a bass drum, and a gong drum. And he's got some Simmons drums in their infancy. And he's got some octobons. And it's just like, just this weird, and a, a rototom, maybe just one. And he uses the octobons and the rototom in place of a ride cymbal. And the stuff like that for elephant talk. And it's really a great lesson in coloring completely outside the lines. I, I really think that Bill is a huge, huge part of King Crimson's success through the 80s and beyond. And now, of course, with uh, Gavin Harrison, Path Masoletto, you know, carrying that torch. I don't think they'd be doing what they're doing without Bill Bruford. One more thing on Bill Bruford, whether it's Genesis, <laughs> whether it's King Crimson, whether it's Bill's solo work, is there is no drummer that sounds like Bill Bruford. He truly is on a completely different island by himself. Um, sound of his equipment and his playing style is completely different from anybody. And it does come through and the early Genesis tours when Phil sang lead and he played and through the eighties, nineties and beyond with King Crimson. So check that out. Three of a perfect pair, the tour, the concert film in Tokyo, 1980. I want to say two, I think maybe three. Yeah. Way some, back. Some, somewhere in the eighties. Yeah. Early, early eighties <laughs> when the earth was still cooling. Right. But speaking of the early 80s, another big anniversary that recently passed. Um, I, I mean, we already did like the 50th anniversary Fragile episode. People can listen to that. But we also passed the 40th anniversary of the compilation album Classic Yes. On was that their, that was their first, right? Uh, yesterday's was, was the first. Yeah, I guess yesterday's is it. Yeah. Yeah, so... I actually have a bit more to say about Classic Yes than I thought I would, but do, do you remember what it was like when that album came out? No, honestly. Okay. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. Um, 
so when did it come out? What year? Four uh, years 1981. ago. 1981. So several yeah. months after Yes officially broke up. And the year I graduated high school. There, I just gave away my age. <laughs> and I did graduate on time, so you can truly figure it out. I'll be 60 in a year. Wow. But I did not. I was not into compilations and I'm kind of still not because, well, nowadays compilations include a lot more than what was released on previous albums. And granted that did as well, maybe, right? No, America was on yesterday's, correct? Right. But um, oh. I'll just read the track list real quick. Okay. But, so. but my point before you do that is that okay. I was not into buying an album that had stuff that I already had on right. an assortment <laughs> of other albums. Compilations were not really a thing back then, which makes this even more special. But I never got it. I never even listened to it all the way through. So enlighten all of us, including me. <laughs> Okay, so first off, the track list for this is Heart of the Sunrise. Never Wonder, heard it. <laughs> Wonder Stories. Yours is wait, no dis Wait, sorry. All original releases or remastered, re other rehearsal run-throughs? Is it all the exact uh, things that are on the, the respective albums? Yeah, these are the album versions. Okay, so that's why I never did it back so, then. So far, so far. Okay. okay. So Heart of the Sunrise, Wonder Stories, Yours is No Disgrace. Starship Trooper, Long Distance Runaround, The Fish, and You and I. And then it included, uh, I guess it would have been technically a single that like, came in it. So side one was Roundabout, uh, live in Oakland in 1978. And I've seen all good people live at Wembley 1978. You know what? This sounds like a great album. I need to get it. <laughs> <laughs> what a great concert that sounds like <laughs> yeah so I i'm kind of with i'm with you along the lines of compilation albums like in, in an age well in the decades since then we've had box sets like yes years that have had like bonus stuff at right and stuff and jimmy page has put out with unreleased stuff or reworked stuff or rehearsals that that to me that's different than just yeah, and in a compiling yes stuff well. that's on other albums already and putting it out you know right and like when yes albums were re-released in the 2000s they had a bunch of bonus tracks and so compilations like after after collecting those like compilations didn't appeal to me that much um, I pretty much only got the classic Yes CD because of the cover and because it has like these live versions of Roundabout and I've Seen All Good People, which are full of a lot of energy. Like they sound really cool. Um, but I posted um, about this anniversary and asked people what they thought of classic Yes. And a good bunch of people said that this was their first Yes album and it was their gateway uh, a, a friend of the podcast, Jeffrey Mason, said he got it for the lovely cover, which, I mean, it's Roger It Dean, is a good cover. cover. Yeah, it's a great Roger Dean piece of art. That's true. You know, I never thought of it that way, actually. This is a really cool little factoid thing that if, if, you're, if you're diving into a band for the first time, a compilation album is a good route to go. And given the songs you mentioned, they're all... Um, very iconic. So that that all makes sense. That's kind of like the 
these spark at the end of a joint that makes you an addict, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like yesterday's was mainly the Peter Banks era plus America thrown on there. Right. Whereas this was the How era, um, pretty much before drama. And what I find kind of mm. weird is that, you know, Chris Squire was um, tasked with, you know, helping out on this and with Yes shows the year before when that got released. Right. And I found it kind of odd that Wondrous Stories is on both of those. And, like, he didn't, like, choose something else for classic Yes. Well, um, that's a good point. So Wondrous Stories is the studio version on classic, but it's live on Yes shows, right? Right. So that's the answer. Right. He, uh, he, but, but what's interesting is that it's the only track that repeats on both of those albums. That's and, an awesome trivia question. Yeah, and like uh, this was something I didn't really notice until someone pointed out recently is that Yes Shows has no tracks repeated from Yes songs, so it was like kind of a different type of tracking, you know? Um, wow, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I like that, that too. So, huh, interesting. So, folks, chime in Com compilation or abomination? What do you think? <laughs> Do you like compilations? And if so, what's your favorite Yes compilation? Because I think there's like 18 now. Right. Or 19. <laughs> um, but yeah, since since Squire was like put in charge of this, or at least helping a bit with this, I guess he had to put the fish on there. And because the fish is on there, you have to have long distance run around on there. Like stuff yeah. like that, I find kind of funny. It's like when that in a word Yes box set uh, that Steve Howe helped with came out in 2002. And he just needed to have clap on there like his solo piece it's it's kind of weird to me but it is you know. yeah like because you're in that position you get that that automatic go you know yeah and and, and some people online were also saying that um they liked getting it for the live versions of roundabout and i've seen all good people and you know, you can, well, when you listen to these, you can hear how much fun they're having. You know, like, it, yeah. it's, it's one of those versions of All Good People where John names off everyone is like, Mr. Oh, Richard yeah. Wakeman, do, do, do. You know, that From type of thing. probably the Tormato tour. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that, actually. Probably my only version of that song that I like. <laughs> so, here, I'll be totally transparent here. I've told Stephen over and over that I could see yes 30 more times and not see them play all good people and be okay. You know, it's right. just, I, I don't know. But on the other hand, I must admit, it's the John Lennon imagine of yes. It's from their early days and, and they carried it through even before roundabout through decades. And it's, it's a very iconic song of that generation and quoting John Lennon actually in that song, give peace a chance so I got to give them some room for that. Just that's just my own sensibilities. I'd rather hear another song that right. they've never played or don't play often. Yeah, I'm that's I'm with you there. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and with, like, well, I was gonna say with the clap, like you said, repeating. Like eh, it's so short. What else would you put on there? Five percent for nothing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm kind of okay with that. Right. Well, so. Uh, what I was going to say was when I re-listened to Classic Yes recently, um, I did this through, like, Yes's official YouTube. Like, they have a playlist, and 
weirdly for I've seen all good people, they have like the classic yes cover in the video, but it's a studio version. It's real weird, but um, but I, I managed to like listen to the live version. But anyway, so listening to it recently, like right before, I was like, okay, I know all these tracks. I I, I know the business, but. Once I started listening to it, I just could not help but sing along to the whole thing. It's, it's like, yes, this is my music that I love listening to. Yeah, so, that, that's yeah. true. That's a good point. <laughs> hey, Steve, just I'm going to throw something out there. Yeah. Um, we're on finishing. <laughs> we got one more, two more things on page four of 14 notes. I think wondering if maybe we should finish those out and do a part two to this or another episode there's just so much to cover here um right well i'm looking at these and trying to figure out like where we would like sort of divide it um, i'd say after the next two notes i won't give them away and then start uh, with that next one of uh forgotten yesterday's don't tell anyone i said that out loud <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll go ahead and do that. I just um, think it's easier for listeners and viewers. If you see something that's an hour long versus three hours long and being that this has been about an hour and we're at like page four of 14 or 15, cause I moved something on my part. We, we should divide this. There's so much news. Let's make it a little more digestible. So you want to move on to the next thing about magnificent. All right. Um, but first, can you pause the thing for a moment? Yeah, let's pause this for a sec. Okay. So we're back. We had a little quick discussion and off we go. So moving forward, Magnification is now available for streaming once again. Why was it not available, Steve? I'm not really sure why it wasn't. I don't know if it's a cyclical thing or a licensing thing, but I remember a few months ago we were talking about how like Magnification, Heaven and Earth, um, the original Fly From Here and Talk were like absent from like the official Yes YouTube and I think right. Spotify. But like people have pointed out recently that Magnification is back on there, so. I mean, hooray. It's, yeah, it's, hooray is right. Yeah, it's it's on their official YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, and Amazon Music. Yeah, and we did a whole episode dedicated to the anniversary of Magnification. So check that out uh, to check it out and spare us from highlighting that right now. But great <laughs> album and an amazing, weird thing considering that one of the most four most iconic prog bands that did an album without a keyboard player uh where that was such a huge part of their sound so check out that episode and then um following that we have news that yesfans.com closes and to me as someone who is the ceo and founder of a very large media company in the music industry with drum talk tv i find that really odd to just say we're closing we're done like had, well, it, it's run by a fan, though. So right, but but still, I just find that odd. I'd I'd love to know from Tim, uh, Luderby, if was it not sellable or someone not to, like why close it? That's just so odd to me. I mean, he was like, it wasn't like a financial like a 
it was a free forum type of site. Like he right. was pretty much paying out of pocket for stuff. Like it wasn't like for profit and um like his message on the site uh, when it was up was the site will be closing December 1st, 2021. Thanks to everyone that has been part of the site it has been a great ride. Um, and before it closed, I saw that he had like, there was a thread where he had considered closing it like three years ago because of like, you know, fandom being kind of like, you know what it is and like Facebook, like pretty much being like, where all that is going to now like so uh, i guess like he held out a bit longer than that and then um you know i mean a 20 year run i mean that's admirable it's great yeah he maybe just had an effort moment yeah and or a baby <laughs> <laughs> or adopted a puppy like we did and now like our time is all jumbled <laughs> right like i don't want to put words into his mouth but I mean, it's his. It was his website. It was his decision, and I respect yeah. it. Right. And you know, I'm sure lots of people like had lots of memories on the site, but like Facebook is where everything seems to be now for the most part. And like from my perspective, like I never used the site that much because for me, the forum format just never appealed to me visually. Right. Um, and yeah, but um, I, I mean, it's cool that people were able to have discussions on there like, when they were civil and whatnot. Yeah, um, I, I think the most notable thing that was on there probably was Eddie Jobson's post about why he like left. Yes. Um, you know, during that brief like post, not why he left a band he was never in. <laughs> right. Well, uh, like, so. Like, if people want to, like, find that type of stuff, I guess they'd have to use the Wayback Machine now. But um, <coughs> it, but an abridged uh, version of that post uh, actually appears in this book, uh, yes, in the 1980s, uh, thankfully. Um, Your new book, yeah. Yeah, and I, I actually, like, saved, like, what the thread was, like, in full, but in case I ever want to look back to refer to stuff. but You should post it on our page. Maybe. Um, but yeah, so Yes in the 1980s contains um, the main parts of that post that's like oh. essential. So yeah, like there are like some sources at sites where it's like, oh yeah, I remember reading that or listening to that or watching How that. How neat. Yeah, I actually finished um, reading it last night. I was going to say listening to it, but no. Um, <laughs> in your head. Yeah. And um, yeah, I have lots to say about it. We'll do... Well, if you read it, um, maybe we can do an episode about it. It probably wouldn't be until the new year, given like scheduling and whatnot. But yeah, yeah. It, yeah but I will say it's at least a must read for Yes fans and does a good job showing like, um, like they talk about Stephen Lamb and David Watkinson uh, talk about their impressions of certain things going on in the 80s. So yeah, I'll just leave that as a tease, but cool. Um, yeah, but getting back to this, uh, yesfans.com, we salute you, Tim Lutterby. Thank you for all your service with the site for you know that long. Like, yeah, twenty months. years is is longer than any bands live that have come out in the last twenty years. So that's that's for the most part. <laughs> so that's huge. That's great, great resource. 
which reminds me a little bit of Notes from the Edge, which, by the way, I might as well just say it now. Right. We will be having Mike Tiano from Notes from the Edge on our show. So watch for that. That's coming out real soon. Yeah, that'll be cool. Uh, but speaking of Yes fan sites, Forgotten Yesterday's got an update, which was announced on November 18th. Right. So the site uh, got like a visual update, but also hosts Remy Menting's Songs of the Earth archive of live and rare studio Yes performances. Um, and apparently the mobile version of the site is revamped as well. And there's an Easter egg, a secret link to the original 1996 website in all its web cool. 1.0 glory. Um, <laughs> that's yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> I remember what websites looked like back then. That was just a couple of years after you were born. And they had a 25-year run so far. So that that's great. Yeah. And Stephen Sullivan, who runs the site, uh, he was part of this uh, video that came out uh, earlier this week, um, which was a Yes, uh, That That Is cover. Um, so I'll just read what the description says. Instrumental excerpts from Yes's That That Is from Keys to Ascension, a distanced collaboration tribute, Chris Clark on keys, Tom Mitchell on drums, Chris Ruth on guitar, Steve Sullivan on bass, and Ernie Fortunato mix mastering. And when you sent this to me, I'm always a little tentative to even listen to stuff like this, <laughs> but I got to say, folks, this was freaking amazing. I I texted Steve right away after I started listening and saying, this is awesome. I wish I could be in a band like this. They are so <laughs> on point and so respective to the original recording. Yeah, it's like six minutes, 40 seconds of instrumental. Uh, like and, and, and someone could have said, hey, you could have said, hey, dad, check this out. This is a yes bootleg <laughs> run through of, and I wouldn't have questioned it. It's that good. It really right. it yeah, is well, that good. Yeah, like watching it, like as I was watching it, you know, it sounded so exact that I was thinking, you know, if I listen to this without knowing what it was i would probably think it's the actual studio song yeah but, th but then a few minutes into it be like oh wait is this an edit where they edited out the vocal part right like, huh. <laughs> yeah like just another version or something like yeah, that it's, it's that, that good. good yeah and i'll link this in the description as well along with the other stuff we mentioned cool um, good on them that that's just an awesome it really is yeah um, and uh, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. That that is, in my opinion, is it, like it's my favorite Yes song that's never been performed live. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but cool. So uh, also along the lines of tributes, um, I saw sometime last month the Yes tribute band Say Yes, uh, spelled S E Y E S. Uh, posted that they were looking for a lead singer since uh, their lead singer, Phil, recently stepped down. I hear John Anderson's available. <laughs> <laughs> How cool would that be? Man, Im imagine all the headlines if that happened. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be yeah. so ironic. <laughs> Another yes band, you know. Um, so they're in the greater Manchester area and they gig in the UK. 
So I'm not sure if they're still looking for a lead singer, but if anyone in that area is interested and can sing like John Anderson or within that range, they can get in touch with them. Um, say yes, Facebook page or say yes.co.uk. And again, I'll link these in the description. And their email, by the way, is email say yes at gmail.com. That's E the email oh, spelled out. What? Is it actually? Oh, yeah, I see it. Yeah. Yeah, it's E M A I L S E Y E S at gmail.com. Okay. Yeah. I'll say yes at gmail.com. Yeah. So cool. And yeah, yeah I, I love tributes. Um, but speaking of which, I think this will be our last uh, item of this, I guess, part one. Um, I, I don't know what we're going to tell the next part, but. Um, of this episode, I guess. So yeah. the Pink Floyd tribute album Animals Reimagined came out on November 19th. Um, so again, as a refresher, it has a lot of, it has like an all-star lineup, but as far as yes-related people go, it includes um, Patrick Moraz on Pigs, three different ones, Rick Wickman on Sheep, and John Davison and Billy Sherwood on what's titled pigs on a wing two but the words are actually the words for pigs on a wing one it's really weird but yeah what of our um someone on facebook alex uh pointed this out to me and i was like oh yeah you're right it's really weird it's not a reprise or no it, it has the lyrics for pigs on a wing one instead of two like oh interesting yeah. maybe it's just mislabeled or something yeah, so basically huh. we have two versions of Pigs on a Wing 1 bookending the album. But what what did you think of Animals Reimagined? Dan? So um, I was impressed with the cover, which is cool, um, because that is a very iconic cover from the 70s. Um, that was almost my first concert, but uh, I en we ended up not going, me and my dad, your grandfather, and instead... Um, and I don't remember why, but we saw Led Zeppelin that year. Instead, that was my first concert. Um, not bad. <laughs> but um, first of all, so it's a huge shoe to fill because the original album is just so good. You've got essentially just three songs and they're all about different types of people. It was driven by Roger Waters everybody's playing is absolutely stellar. So if you're going to do a tribute to that, you got to really do a great job of either nailing it or doing a really fantastic way of reimagining it and, and looking at like my, my buddy, Billy Cobham is on it. Graham Bonnet. There are some Al Damiola. There are some amazing Jordan Rudis from dream theater, Pat Masoletto, who we, mentioned from King Crimson. There are some, Martin Barr from Jethro Tull, goodness gracious. There are some amazing musicians on this. And um, I gave it a listen and it, it's great. It really is. Some of it is so on point that it's, it's almost like, okay, so you played the song the way it goes. And then other stuff has some worked in interpretations that are not necessarily different but with even just a different person's vocal, add that extra ingredient. Um, I, I love it. I think it's cool. And I'm not really into the tribute album thing because I, 
I have the regular album. Why do I want to hear? <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't mean to sound, you know, minimize anything, but, but uh, they did a great job and it's an amazing uh, Arthur Brown, Rick Wakeman, Jan Ackerman, David J. Yeah. I mean, you've got Carmine Apiece, our friend from not just Cactus and Villanova Fudge, but he wrote a couple of Rod Stewart's big hits. He's played with pretty much every, I mean, it goes on and blue murder on and on and on and on. It's a very stellar lineup of people that cover four decades of awesome music. That alone is a good reason to get it, just to see what it, the fuck did these people do when they got together <laughs> to do this? You know, what did you think? Yeah, much of the music sounded because I, I feel like I haven't listened to animals as much as you have, um, and not as often as Dark Side of the Moon or The Wall, but. The music sounded very close. I, I think the vocals are where it sounds more clearly different to me. Yeah. Because uh, it's like, oh, yeah, it's not the Pink Floyd band members singing. Like, I don't hear, like, you know, Roger Waters or anyone. But, yeah, sure. so. Uh, but their performances are great. Um, and when it comes to covers, I, I'm open to reinventing the songs in fact i even prefer that i mean that's how i got into like yes is america and something right coming you know like i, I love how they didn't just in every little thing. thing yeah right yeah so yeah and like overall the production is, is really good it oh, sounds yeah. great yeah um yeah no well, wait that's a good point because for this to come out in 2021 production versus 1977 production and there's of course something to be said about that not that it's bad or but just for it to be recorded in modern times with modern gear and modern even just know-how is really cool to hear yeah definitely so do you have any more thoughts on that album before we close out i'd i think that would be um a neat album to see on a tour by mm -hmm. people paying tribute. I think that would really be cool, especially given the names that are here. That that could really be a nice theatrical spectacle. The album is on its own. The theme is on its own. And then to have it performed by an array of such musicians and maybe even have um, Nick, David, and Roger appear here and there would be like, whoa, you know, it, I, and I only say that because the the level of musicians and their status here, or is it stat I, if we're talking about all of them, you know, again, I'm looking at the list, Al Damiola, Billy Cobham, Patrick Moraz, um, Rick Wakeman, Carmine Apiece. It's like, seriously, how the do you get all those people on one album to do any one album? And the fact that it's a prog album is like, that's killer. It's huge. So I'd love to see this as some sort of theatrical show, you know? Yeah. I remember several years ago, maybe it was like 10 years ago or something. I was like watching, maybe it was PBS or something, but there was um, a concert by Pink Floyd tribute band. And I was like, wow, this is really good. It really sounds like them. So something like that would be really cool to see. I agree. Yeah. Was that Australian Pink Floyd by any chance? You know what? I think it was. Yeah, they're great. They they played in Las Vegas when we lived there. 
And it was after I met Durga McBroom, who sings with Pink Floyd, and her sister was performing in that. And for some reason, we couldn't go. We were out of town or something. And I felt bad that I missed that because I heard nothing but great stuff and then checked them out on YouTube and went, whoa. So that makes sense that it would be them. Yeah. What a great name, too. Like a franchise. There's Australian Pink Floyd. (laughs) Uh, There's uh, Milan Pink Floyd. There's Tokyo Pink Floyd. There's There's Antarctica. Antarctica Pink Floyd. Antarctica Pink Floyd, absolutely. <laughs> the the ultimate down under cover band. <laughs> cool. Right. Yeah. I, I folks, if you haven't heard that, check it out and please chime in on everything you know we've talked about uh, from the passing of George Harrison and Alan White's work with him to compilation versus abomination to animals reimagined and anything else we covered, we always want you to be part of this, Uh, whether it's emailing us so that we can read your emails or whether it's commenting on posts and whatnot. Um, Do you want to read just a couple of the fan inputs and then we'll save the rest for the next episode? Is that cool? Uh, Okay. so I don't want to exclude them completely, but just for the sake of length, we're going to cut it. Yeah, we, we have a short email from someone and a longer email from someone. So uh, should I read the short one first and save the next one for next episode? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so this one is from Jeff Williams. Uh, the subject headline is Rick's Intended Solo for Fragile. Um, and he linked the Wikipedia article for Six Wives of Henry VIII. And he says... Bill, Chris, Steve, and Ray Cooper all played on this song. Catherine of Aragon was originally titled Handle with Care. Fragile can mean handle with care, he says in parentheses. Um, So yeah, like remember you and I on the Fragile episode were wondering what solo would Rick have put on there if there weren't rights issues and he had to do like Cans of Brahms instead. Yeah. Like this sounds vaguely familiar. So I may have read this before he sent the email like a long time ago and just forgot. But I'm glad that Jeff reminded us. So yeah, absolutely. And I wonder if that could have been it actually, or something that has appeared on one of Rick's albums uh, since then that we just know as something else. Mm. Yeah. So. Yeah, when we get to Six Wives uh, in our solo album series, it'll be interesting, like, listening with that in mind. Spoiler alert. (laughs) The alert of the alert came after the spoiler. Yeah, I mean, we've mentioned before that we're doing that. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to that. Um, Sneak peek, I think out of all the solo stuff, Chris Squire only did one album. Alan only did one album, but out of all the others... Oh, Chris did uh, Swiss Choir, the Christmas album. Yeah, that's true, and we're going to talk about that too. But um, Rick has had, I think, the most prolific career, and I just love... I can't wait to dig into that, because I just love (laughs) his music. I just love, love, love it. And he's got an amazing drummer too, and Tony Fernandez. He's had a couple others, but Tony's been with him for years and years and years. And uh, yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be fun digging into that. Steve Howe, of course, with a great catalog of solo stuff. Um, We can go on and on, but we won't. Yeah, we're saving it. Right. (laughs) So folks, write us at yesshiftpodcast at gmail.com. Give us your thoughts. Give us suggestions. 
Uh, we do read fan mail. Comment on these posts if you're seeing or hearing it somewhere where comments are enabled. And uh, you're part of this show, too. Uh, the way this show was born is that Steve's been literally a lifelong Yes fan since he was born. He used to rock him in my arms when he wasn't six feet tall and 101 <laughs> and sing Harder the Sunrise. And he watched uh, the Yes Years and 9012 live uh, when he was two, three, four years old. Um, and so he and I talk yes all the time. And one day we had one of several deep conversations. I said, you know what? We, yeah, it was like 20 minutes or a half hour or something. Yeah. And I said, <laughs> we should just, we should do a podcast. And so here we are. Yeah. yeah. It's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. There's so much to talk about with a, a band over 50, year, 50 years old who changes a lineup after every two albums in a row. Yeah, definitely. People coming, going. It sounds just like family. <laughs> <laughs> Not the band family, but family as a culture. All right. Uh, anything else, Steve? Uh, no, I think that's it for now. And like we said, we'll we'll bring up these other news items we have on the next um, news thing, uh, part two or whatever we'll call yeah. it. Um, yeah, we got some Steve Howe stuff to mention. Uh, and John and Oliver, uh, respectively, like I mentioned, Rick. That's stuff. right. Uh, Trevor Tom, Horn news. Yeah, and Tom Brislin got a mention on a list. And there's that Outlander single that has Trevor Rabin on it. Right, um, which wasn't what I expected. I'm eager to talk about that. John Lodge has yeah. uh, Royal Affair. Uh, and After has been to We got all kinds of news. Just so much stuff. And I got to give Steve all the credit for that. He, he mines all this stuff. And um, yeah, I've like turned on the Google alerts for like all their names, like everything, er, any, anything with a vowel in it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So we'll see you all soon. Thanks for following what we do. We look forward to hearing from you. Uh, if you're listening to this towards the end of the year, while it's, you know, freshly out, happy holidays, be safe, be kind, be loving. And uh, thanks for being a part of what we do. Yeah, and you can email us at yesshiftpodcast at gmail.com and find the podcast at anchor.fm slash yesshift where you can see all the other podcast platforms we are on. And yeah, looking forward to doing more of these and hearing from you listeners. And those of you who are still hanging out on Facebook by your fingernails, it's facebook.com slash yesshift. <laughs> we'll see yeah. you soon. Thanks. See ya. <laughs>